Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 7. As a quick reminder, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, do send them to my email michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. Or you can send them to me on Facebook through my website scientifictriathlon.com and there's a widget there in the bottom right corner that you can send me questions through directly on Facebook Messenger. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Stack. And uh, as I talked about before, they have a new smart trainer option out on the market, and that is the Halcyon, which recently won the Eurobike 2018 award for the best bike training accessory in competition with many other new bike trainers. Stack uh, won it all, won the complete award, and that is a great achievement, of course. So if you're looking for a smart trainer, this would be my definite recommendation for which one to go to. And uh, if you don't need a smart trainer, you can get by on uh, more traditional dumb trainer technology, so to say. Remember that Stack's other models are still completely silent and they have no wear and tear on the bike and the tires because they use magnets rather than resistance flywheels. So they are great options as well. And of course, they're quite a bit cheaper because they don't have the smart trainer functionality. So there's something for everybody in the different models that Stack offer. And whichever one you go with, you can get 20% off with the discount code TTS20 on stackzero.com and all that is linked to and uh, explained in the episode description and big thanks to ventum ventum can be found on ventumracing.com they are the bike manufacturers that are disrupting the triathlon bike industry with innovative and supremely fast bike designs in addition to the speed that their aerodynamic properties of their bikes uh, give you they're really designed to be easier than any other triathlon bike when it comes to building, packing and traveling with them, which was uh, really a big pain point for Ventum co-founder Jimmy Seard back in the day. And they also have some great financing options and uh, get 100% of the value of your old bike towards the purchase of a new Ventum bike offer in place to make it really easy for you to get an, your new Ventum bike. And you can use the promo code that triathlon show all on word all caps to get a free upgrade from standard training wheels on your bike to Edco Aerosport G065 race wheels when you make your order on ventumracing.com. So again, that's that triathlon show all on word all caps to get a free upgrade from training wheels to really good race wheels. All right, let's get to today's questions. First, we have uh, Phil Ellison from the United Kingdom who writes. Uh, hi, Michael, here's a question that, that I like answering regarding running cadence. The background being that I feel my slow cadence is limiting my Ironman run. My typical cadence at Ironman pace of 5 minutes per kilometer is about 156 to 160. And at typ typical efforts around 3 minutes 40 seconds per kilometer, that would be, I just counting in my head here, I think it's around 6 minute miles. Uh, that goes and by the way that five minutes per kilometer is eight minute miles uh, so at those efforts three minutes 40 seconds per kilometer it rises to around 180 this is the figure i believe i should be shooting for to improve mechanics reduce ground reaction force etc but at ironman pace it feels quite choppy and obviously uncomfortable 
I'm going to persevere with strides at a fast pace with quick turnover and periods of steady state at about 170 to begin with. However, I automatically speed up to 420s, so 4 minutes 20 seconds or so per kilometer, unless on treadmill. Any advice on cadence at what is essentially jogging pace for Ironman? Hope this makes sense and keep up the great podcast, Phil. All right, so good question. First of all, I I think that the the way that you frame the question with uh, relating it and associating it with Ironman pace, I wouldn't necessarily see look at it that way. I would just look at it from a pure running perspective or a general running perspective, really. Like, how can you become the best runner possible? And yes, I think that if you're running 150 to 160s, for your five uh, minutes per kilometer pace then there is definitely room to increase your cadence significantly and that should make you a better runner in the long term uh, but but i would look at it from that angle and not necessarily from what your cadence should be at uh, an ironman specifically or at ironman pace for that matter uh, but that said that 150 260 figure it might be limiting for your pace and it also might be a potential risk factor as you mentioned with ground reaction forces you are probably overstriding at that cadence it's not completely sure but uh, it's likely that you might be uh, so what should you move up to you talk about 180 that is your like interval effort cadence and uh, you want to get that up to your ironman pace let's call it your zone 2 base endurance pace and there's nothing wrong with that if that happens but i think that probably having 180 as your base endurance pace is not really realistic for everybody Uh, for example taller runners they typically have quite a bit slower cadences than shorter runners uh, and there's nothing wrong with that for example if you were to compare patrick lange and and jan frodeno at uh, their zone two intensities i think that there would be quite a significant cadence difference i'm not saying that Jan Frodeno would be very low or so but i'm pretty sure that he would be a bit lower than patrick lange in terms of cadence uh, but anyway so i think that what i would recommend is to target initially to get up to 170 that's what i've seen is usually achievable for for most about anybody even if you start at 150 as your base cadence uh, but you need to work up there in a gradual approach otherwise you're likely changing too much biomechanically at once and it will be it will be difficult so so i would change it by five percent every four weeks and until you reach your target cadence so let's say for simplicity here for simple math that you are currently at 150 exactly so then five percent of that is 7.5 so you would perhaps set 158 as your target cadence for the next four weeks and then you would start working on that 158 target cadence in cadence intervals in each and every run. And uh, maybe the first week you do it in terms of one minute on, one minute off. And doing it in short intervals like this allows you to make sure that you don't increase your pace even though you increase your cadence. It allows you to stay focused and uh, get in tune with that pace that you should be holding in your normal cadence compared to your new improved 158 cadence so in that one minute off which would be at your standard 150 steps per minute you would get a feel for what the pace is and then with just one minute on with the increased cadence cadence you would be much better able to keep the pace where it is even as your uh, as your cadence increases so as you mentioned the treadmill is a great tool to to do this uh, definitely and i would recommend that you use that quite a lot if you have the option to do so 
Uh, one more thing to keep in mind is that in very easy runs like recovery runs, zone one runs, it might not be possible to do this cadence increase. So maybe skip those for your cadence intervals. But from zone two runs and above, uh, include those cadence intervals. Then in the second week of the four-week block, you might do three minutes on, one minute off. And then in the third week, you might do six minutes on, one minute off. And then in the fourth week, see if you can hold that 158 in longer steady-state durations, perhaps your entire run if uh, things are going well. Use a metronome. That's something that I would recommend to, uh, and you, perhaps you're already doing that when you're working on Cadence. Your Garmin might have that, depending on what Garmin you're using or another watch. In, For example, in my 920 XT, if I go to the activity settings for my run, I can turn on the metronome. Or you can, of course, download a metronome app on your phone. Or you can use the Finis Tempo Trainer that you might use for swimming to, uh, in running as well. So that's something to keep in mind. There are many options for how to work on Cadence and, and make sure that you stick to that target Cadence. Strides, as you mentioned, are an awesome way to work on cadence and uh, keeping a high high step rate. So definitely keep doing them. For anybody not familiar, strides are short, relaxed but fast accelerations to almost your maximum speed. But they are not sprints. They are just they're form-based intervals. So for example, you might do a 20-second acceleration. So you accelerate over the first 5 to 10 seconds. And then you keep, let's say, 95% of your maximum speed, making sure that you're staying relaxed, but you're running fast, but relaxed, and keeping a high focus on form and a high focus on cadence as well uh, during that stride. And after those 20 seconds, you recover completely. So it's not a hard workout. It's a technique workout. You might walk for a minute or a minute and a half, and then you do the next one. And you might do four of them, six of them, eight of them, or, or even ten of them. Uh, so keep doing that, and you can consider adding downhill strides. Uh, very gentle downhills, but that's uh, a way that you can even further improve that uh, and increase the the step rate, the cadence that you will be using because, because of that increased speed that the downhill forces you to go at. And one more advanced tip, if you are using a running power meter, you can do a test on the track where every lap you increase your cadence from a low baseline, like let's say 150, increase the cadence by three to four steps per minute each lap. And then after the workout, calculate your running effectiveness and see episode 93 uh, for information about what running effectiveness is. If you don't know, I'll link to it in the episode description. Calculate that at each cadence that you're using, so for each lap separately. And it doesn't really matter here if your pace increases slightly, but try to keep it in the same pace zone. So, for example, you might be going in low zone 2 in your first lap, and then if it slightly increases with uh, a few seconds per kilometer by each lap, then that's okay, but try to finish at high zone 2 and not go into the next pace zone so that it's comparable, at least in terms of the, the rough range of pace that you're running at. And note, if you do this, that this does not mean that whatever is your most effective uh, cadence right now is the best for you long term. But it can give you some interesting insights, especially into where there might be crossover points between more and less effective running for you currently. So, so that is a useful thing to do as well. So I don't know if this directly answers your questions, but uh, I guess to sum up, I wouldn't focus so much on uh, on just the, the race pace, the, the Ironman cadence, but actually focus on your cadence in general and trying to work up your baseline cadence gradually uh, through the process that I just described 
doing it gradually by 5% every four weeks or so and then including those cadence intervals in every single run even if they're not like hard runs uh, with the exception perhaps of recovery runs. That Those are my main takeaways I guess for this question and I really hope that this this helps you and if not get back to me and I'll answer it on a future podcast. All right here is the next question and uh, this one is uh, a repeat question from uh, Pablo uh, Silva, Pablo Antonio Garcia Silva from Chile. He has answered uh, asked the question previously and here's another one so this one goes here is another question probably the one that every age grouper wants to ask but but fears the answer we know that alcohol is bad and the optimal is to live an alcohol-free life but how bad is it for training how much does the bad effect depend on quantity and or time before slash after training thanks all right so this is a very interesting question and one that i really had uh, very little knowledge of before i started researching it but i found uh, a recent review paper quite recent at least 2014 it's a review article in the journal sports medicine which is one of the most prestigious uh, journals in the field by matthew barnes and i'll link to this review paper in the, sh- the episode description it's open access so you can read the full thing and see all the tables that i will list So first, regarding pre-exercise alcohol consumption, uh, this uh, review paper states that up until 1982, when there was a position stand from the American College of Sports Medicine, that position stand summarized the research that had been conducted so far, and most of it was actually focused on what happens when you consume alcohol before exercise and not after exercise. And at that point, the take-home message was that Acute alcohol use before exercise may impair strength, power, muscular endurance, speed, and cardiovascular endurance. But that said, there were no detrimental effects of alcohol on maximal oxygen uptake, heart rate, stroke volume, muscle blood flow, and respiratory dynamics during exercise. And there has been a bit of research since, and it has proven by and large quite inconclusive. So a lot of contradictory findings in different uh, research studies. And uh, this, uh, the, the author, Barnes, he states that it is most likely due to the use of different doses of alcohol, different exercise protocols and modalities, for example, running versus cycling, and the variability between subjects for alcohol tolerance. And uh, so since there is a great table, table one in the paper, if you go and uh, go and look at the entire article, but there are, for example, some papers on maximal progressive cycling tests that show that both a moderate and a quite a high dose of alcohol have no effect on performance. And there's also one that uh, one study that found that a five-mile treadmill time trial, there was no effect on that performance with uh, breath alcohol of uh, below 0.5 milligrams per milliliter. I'm not actually sure, to be honest, if that's a moderate or low or high alcohol consumption. It's measured in a different unit than the typical milliliter per kilogram unit that is that is used. But then there are some other studies, like, for example, 0.5 grams per kilogram uh, body weight, actually lean body weight. So again, it's a bit different. That is quite a moderately high dose or, or a high dose, I would say. And the performance measure was a 60-minute cycling time trial. There was a decrease in total work done. Then there was a treadmill run at 80 to 85% of VO2 max intensity. So that is just underneath your lactate threshold typically. And with 25 milliliters of alcohol 10 minutes before and 30 minutes after the onset of exercise. 
Uh, that's an interesting study uh, protocol. Three of the four subjects, only four subjects, mind you, failed to complete the allocated time. But 25 milliliters, 10 mi- minutes before, that is uh, quite a lot. Uh, I would say that that is roughly, off the top of my head, what might that be? 750 milliliters of a standard beer, something like that. Uh, don't quote me on that. But then there's also some other studies there listed. I won't uh, list them all out. But the point here is that there there have been uh, contradictory findings. Some studies, even with high doses of alcohol, have found no effect on performance, in cycling in particular, but also one on running, whereas some other studies have found uh, a negative effect on performance. So the author of this recent review states that, together with the conclusion of the earlier position statement, uh, All of these studies suggest that low to moderate doses of alcohol do not positively influence performance, which actually at one point in time was uh, believed. Rather, they are likely to decrease endurance performance. So to sum up, uh, pre-exercise consumption of alcohol, we don't really know, but potentially a negative performance. But again, that is with typically in these studies a bit higher moderate to high consumption of alcohol, so at least two or three beers rather than just one beer. So just one beer might actually not be that harmful in terms of how you perform in the exercise. So that's what we know so far and what we don't know so far in a nutshell. All right, so what about consuming alcohol after exercise and how that impacts various things, all relating in one way or another to to the recovery from exercise? So when studies have investigated this sort of recovery after exercise and how alcohol impacts that, What they typically measure are proxies for recovery, like rehydration and uh, muscle glycogen resynthesis, and also uh, soft tissue injury repair through various mechanisms, and also uh, hormonal response uh, and the the endocrine response, essentially, some other things that we'll go into. But it should be noted here that they're not direct measures of recovery and especially not direct measures of how you'll perform in your next workout. So it's quite debatable, but uh, I guess they give us some good uh, some good indications still. So let's cover a few of these. So first, rehydration. We know now that for small volumes of alcohol, it uh, isn't really a diuretic, at least not to any large extent. So small volumes of alcohol will not negatively impact rehydration. But uh, larger volumes of alcohol will. In terms of glycogen resynthesis, there was one study in particular, and there is very limited data here, but that is by Louise Burke and colleagues, and they compared the effects of three different recovery diets. Two of them contained alcohol, and when comparing the one diet that contained alcohol but was essentially the same as a non-alcohol but high-carbohydrate a recovery meal, the, the food itself was the same, but the alcohol was the only thing that differed. One group had it, one group did not. They both resynthesized muscle glycogen in the same way. However, when some of the calories of that control diet, which had no alcohol, when some of the calories were replaced by calories from alcohol, so they actually reduced the amount of calories from food, then this had a negative impact on glycogen repletion. So, so that's something to keep in mind. You should not use glycogen, or sorry, use alcohol as liquid bread, which uh, we used to joke about when uh, when I was a student and living the university life with 
uh, a lot more alcohol than today, for sure. Uh, so, but liquid bread is not really a thing, apparently. So, do not go with that uh, recovery nutrition tactic. Next, we have immune function. There are a lot of things going on with immune function, so all of these things are really complicated and not fully understood. Uh, a lot of inflammatory markers and molecules that are affected and not affected by, by alcohol. But in a nutshell, what these studies say is that uh, acute alcohol consumption after exercise, it does negatively impact the inflammatory processes. And actually, interestingly, what uh, this uh, review paper says is that the shift in the inflammatory processes is towards an anti-inflammatory environment and uh, that is interesting because usually we consider anti-inflammatory a positive thing but we also know that uh, after exercise to have the adaptations that we need the inflammatory process is actually a, a, an important part of that exercise adaptation and the supercompensation process so so i guess that is why that shift towards anti-inflammatory processes is a negative in this context. That's the only reason I can think of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what this review paper says. Another thing, a small thing really, but uh, coupled with these alterations in immune function and uh, anti-inflammatory or in inflammatory processes in general, there may be an increased blood flow to injury sites, which might increase the severity of injuries for athletes that are injured if you consume alcohol after after exercise so that can have a negative impact on how quickly you can recover from from an injury in terms of the hormonal or endocrine effects there is a great table table two in this paper that i recommend that you go and look at so there's a summary of different studies but uh, the review states that alcohol detrimentally impacts normal hormonal balance so that a range of factors, including sleep quality, mood, metabolism, and cardiovascular function, may all be affected during and or after alcohol consumption. And in, importantly for males, this can also negatively affect testosterone production, which uh, is an important anabolic hormone. So that uh, has an impact in in how your muscles are built up again after after basically basically causing some muscle damage in hard exercise, at least. There's potentially some positive uh, effects of alcohol consumption after resistance training, uh, and uh, that is uh, a bit contradictory. So it all goes to show that this is a very, very complex topic, and uh, we can't really tell for sure how negative this really is for different types of athletes, because there are so many different factors that uh, that impact here. For example, the dosage of alcohol. Again, we're typically in these studies talking about quite high doses of alcohol that almost no listener would <laughs> would even think of consuming after exercise it's not one beer or one glass of wine uh, but the dosage the sex age and previous level of habitual alcohol use they all play a role here in what the actual effect is and then finally profane resynthesis after exercise which is of course important uh, an interesting study in rats so take that with a large scoop of salt found that uh, skeletal muscle protein synthesis decreased by as much as 75% for at least 24 hours post-alcohol consumption. They also found that uh, type 2 fibers, so the fast-twitch muscle fibers, are more susceptible to al alcohol use than type 1 fibers. The problem with this study is that the amount of alcohol consumed by these uh, alcoholic rats 
uh, translates to about 3.46 grams per kilogram body weight, which is equivalent for a 70 kilogram individual to uh, 242 grams of alcohol or 24 standard drinks so it's not exactly first of all it's rats and second of all it's 24 standard drinks and not one or two uh, portions so yeah i don't think that we can really draw much conclusions for that another study with a more moderate but still very high consumption of 1.5 gram of alcohol per kilogram body weight uh, that would be equivalent to 12 <laughs> standard drinks so still a lot and that dose did have a, a negative, strong negative impact on muscle protein synthesis. But again, it's a very large dose. So how that scales, that's something that we don't really know. So to sum up, uh, this is my own personal interpretation. There isn't really, uh, I think, unfortunately, a really good conclusion of this paper. But I guess that really depends so much on the fact that we, we don't really a lot of these problems with the studies that exist at the moment for example the, the dosage being quite a bit higher than typical for most endurance athletes it might be more relevant to be honest for team sport athletes because for example rugby or football players might be more prone to go out and have uh, a big drinking session with the, their team after training and that's not something that i think that is typical of triathletes and other endurance athletes so this is my personal interpretation of of all of these things but these doses, when we consider them, are really big in most cases and not even close to what most athletes would consider to consume post-exercise. So, for example, in most of these studies, 0.5 milliliters per kilogram body weight, uh, it, it is actually, compared to some other studies, quite small in, in this context. But that would still be, for me, for example, at 67 kilograms, it would be 38.5 milliliters of alcohol. And that equals two pints, two whole pints, one liter of weaker beer, 3.5%. Or, for example, three glasses, three 12 centiliter glasses of wine. So it's still way more than I would consider consider drinking after a training session. Uh, so I just think that we don't really know to what extent, if any, very light alcohol consumption affects training neither after nor before training. But we do know that it is toxic and uh I have actually I did look at some general epidemiological data from a WHO report called the Global Status Report on Alcohol and Health. I'll link to that as well in the description. So just a few fun facts for you uh, as you are commuting to work or or something. But uh, it's not really related to triathlon, but to general health. But here you go: four percent of all deaths worldwide are attributable to alcohol. And 4.5% of the global burden of disease and injury is attributable to alcohol. Some of the most, uh, the distribution of, uh, of these deaths uh, by disease or injury, in terms of which diseases or injuries are, are causing these deaths that are related to alcohol, some of the bigger ones that are not directly related to actually being an alcoholic are, for example, cancer. So 22% of the deaths attributable to alcohol are from cancer. 14% are from cardiovascular diseases and uh, diabetes. 6% uh, are from neuropsychiatric disorders. Then we have 16 or 17% from uh, liver cirrhosis. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's more typical for really high alcohol consumption. And then, of course, we have 30% from unintentional injuries. But again, that's related to, to overuse, uh, typically in, in one setting. But uh, yeah, there you go. But those cancer and uh, cardiovascular diseases and diabetes those are quite interesting that they're still very big uh, parts and those are things that are related to not necessarily any like huge consumption in one go 
And in terms of one interesting uh, measure or unit of measuring how big an impact certain risk factors have, there's something called the DALY. I actually used that a lot when I was uh, an engineer in the medical device industry and did some research there. Uh, that stands for uh, disease uh, disability adjusted life years. And just as a an overview of that, it, it means essentially how many years fewer on a population level you might live because of certain diseases and disabilities. So you can measure a lot of things with that. And this WHO report, they have uh, gathered 19 leading risk factors and uh, their impact on the disability-adjusted life years. So essentially, which risk factors lead to a reduced life expectancy the most? It's not quite correct there if we have any any researchers here i know it's not quite correct but i don't uh, i'm not familiar with it i don't remember it enough to be honest to explain it quite correctly anyway alcohol use is number three on this list after actually childhood underweight and unsafe sex are number one and two on this list but uh, so this doesn't really tell us a lot but when so alcohol use it uh, it accounts for 4.5 percent or so of the of the dailies, the DALYs, so the disability adjusted life years. But when we compare it to some other uh, risk factors on this list, where for example, high blood pressure is number five on this list, tobacco use is number six, high blood glucose is number eight, overweight and obesity is number 10, physical inactivity is number 11, high cholesterol is number 12. Uh, then we have low fruit and vegetable intake is number 16. And uh, illicit drugs is number 18. So when you compare those, some of those things, like for example, comparing with overweight and obesity being number 11, uh, that just goes to show how, uh, how unhealthy alcohol really is. But to sum up this whole question, I think it's safe to say that with this general health data, it's not doing us any favors to drink alcohol, but whether one beer or one small glass of wine one to two times per week really has a measurable impact, I have no idea. We do know that the world's best athletes, again going back to the athletic perspective, they typically don't completely cut out alcohol, as discussed recently in episode 153, The Endurance Diet with Matt Fitzgerald. So if I am to make any recommendation, it would be to feel free to consume one or two portions of alcohol at most two times per week. Uh, That's uh, what I would follow, although sometimes or many times I go many weeks without any alcohol, especially when trying to cut weight for a race. But uh, that's uh, to give you an overview of that, and I hope you found it useful, even though there are no super clear-cut answers to your questions, uh, Pablo. All right, I hope you enjoyed this and found it useful. Before we close off this episode, I have an update on the intermediate 70.3 16-week training plan that I announced last week. I have just completed the final of 17 videos that are attached to the plan and included in the plan where you'll see me uh, screen sharing and uh, screen explaining each and every week of the plan in detail in a video. And that will give you all the knowledge that you need to really execute the plan as well as possible and get every last percentage point of benefit out from it. And uh, if you're wondering why 17 videos in a 16-week plan, well, the 17th or the first is an overview of the entire plan and not any given week. So to remind you, if you don't remember, this is my brand new intermediate level 70.3 training plan. I'll link to it in the episode description as well, so you can check it out. It's 16 weeks long with an average of 8.5 hours of training per week. 
It's currently only available on Training Peaks, but as usual, PDF versions will follow. And if you purchase the Training Peaks version, you will get the PDF versions for no extra cost when it's ready. But you do need to make sure that you have your email uh, account set up correctly in Training Peaks so that I know your email address when you purchase through Training Peaks. But I will also announce it on the podcast when I when I release the PDFs, and then you can just contact me if you haven't received the email. You can use the program with a free Training Peaks account. And uh, just as with my previous plans and all future plans, I do want to reward early adopters. So there is a 60% launch promo, and that's valid for the next three days until Sunday, the 11th of November, 2018. So you can use the code LAUNCH60, LAUNCH60 on Training Peaks when you buy this plan, and I will give you a 60% discount to get it for $27 rather than 69 the link, again, is in the episode description or just go to scientifictriathlon.com and in the training plans menu, you can click through to the intermediate 70.3 and you'll find some sample workouts and a more thorough description of the program on that Training Peaks page. So if you have already purchased a plan and you also left your email when purchasing on Training Peaks, I will already have sent you an email with the information about how to access the videos that I just released because they weren't there from the start. But uh, some people that have purchased and did not have the email, if you are one of those and you did not receive the email with these videos, do email me, michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and it's michael with a K, and I'll give you access details to all of these videos. All right, finally, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Ventum that you can find on ventumracing.com. Go there and check out their amazing triathlon bikes, the flagship Ventum 1 and the super bike to an entry-level price point, the Ventum C, which is the bike that I ride in non-draft races. And you can get a free upgrade from race wheels, sorry, from training wheels to race wheels with the code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, on VentumRacing.com. And big thank you to Stack that you can find on StackZero.com. You can get any of their trainer models for 20% off with the discount code, discount code TTS20. And that applies to their base model, their power meter model, and their smart trainer, the Halcyon. Check them out on stackzero.com and the promo code again is TTS20. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.